curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're in Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're in Sales podcast. This episode of the So You're in Sales podcast is brought to you by Badger Maps. Do you work in field sales? Then you've experienced what I've experienced, leaving the house, driving around, visiting customers, and popping into potential new accounts without having a real plan of action. It's easy to waste time driving around until I tried Badger. Badger is a route planner for field sales teams, and it can help you sell up to 25% more by optimizing your driving routes and meeting schedule. Cool, right? Badger can knock 20% off the amount of time you spend driving around each day, and that's more time to get deals closed. Badger will also automatically update your customer information in your CRM, so it'll get your sales manager off your back too. Never be late to a sales meeting again, and start your free trial of Badger Maps today by heading to badgermaps.com slash podcast. That's badgermaps.com podcast and start your free trial today. If you've been listening to the podcast recently, you've noticed that I've been dedicating a fair amount of time and attention to talking to people who are responsible for building their own personal brands in the digital marketplace and exploring the ways that people are approaching that objective and the ramifications of those approaches, what's necessary in order to be able to attempt to execute on a strategy that's digital in nature. And in this episode, we're really focusing on LinkedIn. I've known Michael Crank for a while now, and I've watched as he's continued to invest in building his personal brand on LinkedIn To a fair amount of success, he's been able to continue to evolve his career during the pandemic and get himself into positions that would be considered a career growth in a time when a lot of people are uncertain about how to do that. So uh, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. I think there's some things that you could take away from this with respect to growing your own personal brand. Give it a listen. For you personally, you know, um, we've not known each other tremendously long, but I'm a bit of a digital voyeur, if you were, and you know, you and I have made some attempts to try to make this happen in the past. You know, obviously, we've had a few obstacles put in front of us here over the course of the last 24 months. But you know, um, I I've been speaking a lot in these shows about how the job market has evolved. Right. So, two years ago, if you wanted a job there were jobs to be had. There were more jobs than there were uh, people to fill them. Everyone was in their seat doing their work. Money was flowing. The economy was great. And then obviously we know what happened. It fell off a cliff. And in that process, 
Michael Crank, you unfortunately were in probably the most negatively affected segment of our marketplace being in hospitality. So talk to us about the transition that you've had to make and kind of some of the inputs that you had to factor into your decision-making as you were making this really sizable considerate, cons uh, decision to not just change a job, not just change a career, but change an entire industry. So talk to us a little bit about that. <clears throat> I mean, I, I love the hospitality industry first off. It was, I mean, it, I grew up in it. it. just It's in my DNA. But the thing about the hospitality I love so much was it's just serving others. That's that's what I'm all about. I have a servant heart. And um, But during, during COVID, I had to rethink everything. Um, my whole entire career, I used to always say, I'm going to pattern myself as a Swiss Army knife. I'm going to... Um, be, I've worked tourism and I crush it there. I've worked food and beverage operations and I've ex, uh, exceeded expectations there. I've run sales departments, marketing departments, and, and uh, banquets, tourism, restaurants, and hotels. So I figured I'd be I'd be recession proof. I never actually even thought in a million years that there'd be this pandemic that would wipe out an, an entire industry. Luckily for me, I survived it. My strategy actually worked. I was the only one in my department that survived. Um, at the Royal Park Hotel, um, where I was previously at, and um, but it was hard. As a whole, going through the pandemics, we're not out of it. It's the the whole industry changed. Um, I would get all this momentum, all this swagger going, just feeling good, be just feeling on top of the world, just fired up because I get my sales but going strong. And then you'd look on the headlines of uh, the news and see Delta variants, and then then you just then your phone doesn't stop ringing. Oh, how are you going to cancel your next events? And you got half a million dollars worth of events that are in hotel states that are canceling. So this cycle happened like three or four different times. And that's what really caused me to rethink like, man, I just, this, this anxiety that I'm getting just from not knowing what's going to happen. It, it's tough. Um, and then the thing about me is the thing is a servant to my customers is I want to say yes to everything. And during COVID you, you had to say no to, a lot of things. I, no, I can't do the buffets. No, I can't sit 10 people at a table. But at the same time, I loved what I did so much. I love the people I worked for and worked with. Um, I, I wanted to fight through it. I wanted to see the other side of the mountain. And then after a while, I just, every time I'm thinking to the other side, I just realized this mountain is just getting bigger. <laughs> right. and, and, and that's where, um, that's where I had to sort of rethink my strategy. And honestly, I wasn't looking for another job. I was, I was committed. I was committed to take the bumps and the bruises of the, um, of the industry. Um, but then uh, this new opportunity came about from someone who actually follows me on LinkedIn and who um, we've had a couple of conversations in the past and being a customer. And I said, you know what, maybe it's, maybe it's time for a change. And um, it was tough. It was the hardest decision I ever had to make because I felt like in that I had my dream job, dream job. I had the, the boss I love. I had the team that supported me. I had the, Everyone was great at what they did, but um, just having to think about one, my family, um, and just the industry as a whole, it was it was time to make a make a choice. And honestly, I've always had this passion in my heart um, for marketing, and this just seemed like the the perfect opportunity to make that transition. And uh, and um, I learned a ton. I learned like. And just just to really to have your back against the wall and to be at rock bottom of an industry and have to figure out how you're going to come out of it. I mean, that's 
scary, but that's exciting. Like that is insane. Like just to not be able to do anything to come up with vertical concerts that we did at the Royal Park and, and really pull out your whole tool belt. I mean, I mean that part of that industry was was incredible. I'll never in my entire life forget what we did at the Royal Park in those uh, two years during uh, COVID. And what you learned in the process, right? So amazing. And it had a lot to do with exactly what you were talking about. When you are constrained, like the hospitality industry was constrained, you know what it creates? It creates creativity mm-hmm. because you have no other choice. And if you are in the game to win, and your objective is to sell, you don't just go home because the rules of the game have changed. You have to dream up what are the new ways you're going to play the game. But, Michael, and this is the thing, and why my heart kind of goes out to you, because I know what that meant to you, but there's this idea of the Sisyphean journey where you're just going to carry a rock up the hill forever and never let it actually get to the top. Like, that sounds great philosophically, and to know that like there is some value in the journey and the process of going through that sooner or later, you want it to end because we're all just human beings at the end of the day. And we do have families and financial commitments and things that we're trying to strive for that get to the point where that constraint and the creativity creates is no longer worth the work. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right? And so I feel you brother. And to know that, you had to make this uh, difficult pivot. What I think is interesting is having known you the way I do, you were already using all of the tools to achieve the objectives that you sought that you're now selling to people. Exactly. Exactly. So talk about how your presence as a digital marketer helped fuel this conversion to you moving into the digital marketing space. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been a, I don't want to say a big name, like a medium sized name on like the LinkedIn world. Like that's built. Once I started working like off of LinkedIn, like I really put that as like a focus of my entire sort of being and my personal brand. Um, it's, it really, it set me up for huge success over, over my career. I haven't applied for a job or even looked for a job in probably the last six years and six years when I really sort of owned my, my LinkedIn space. And I mean, I, so what I said in the, in the job interview with uh, SSDM, I said, I said, I mean, look at my LinkedIn page. I've more followers probably than the company. I get a lot of, I get a, I get a, a ton of traction. Um, I get a ton of engagement and I'm the way I'm marketing myself, I think is shows that I can, I can, I can mark with the best of them. I've built a great LinkedIn profile, a great LinkedIn brand and I'm pretty well known. And I mean, I'll tell everyone like that. I would joke around people said I'm way cooler on LinkedIn than I actually am in real life. <laughs> um, but in, in all honesty, on, on LinkedIn, my whole thing is authenticity. I want to, I want the same person you see on LinkedIn is to be the same person that you see in, in real life. But anyways, that LinkedIn brand building, that's what put me out there for everyone to sort of see. Um, and it gave me this opportunity to get here. So just having that digital personal presence created this opportunity. And this opportunity is not really a, it's not a business development opportunity as of now. It's more it's called this client experience manager. So I'm really just working with top tier companies and um, sort of speaking our language on the digital marketing side to the and taking our language and sort of uh, deciphering it to be more English so that the everyday person can understand it. So really, I mean, the tools have always been there. I've always I've always ha- sort of had them. It's just using for a different use. Um, but, uh, 
but nothing would be possible for my career, honestly, without my digital marketing presence. It is, I mean, it's honestly just changed my life. I've um, created so many different opportunities uh, for me. Um, and it's pretty cool to not have to look. Everyone just comes and finds me. There's scales that whether on purpose or uh, subconsciously, people are constantly weighing uh, inputs versus value of the inputs, right? So a lot of times what you'll hear people say about digital brand building is, I don't have time for that. Or there's something about it that I'm not passionate about or what, like whatever. There's all kinds of reasons why people choose not to. But what I think your example shows is for those willing to make the investment in the digital brand building, it's more like a road than an edifice, in my opinion. And what it does is the more ground you lay, the farther you can go. Exactly. And whether or not you make the choice to lay the road is 100% yours. But if you choose not to, then what you're really saying is those destinations I might get to are off limits to me now mm-hmm. because I'm not willing to put in the work to be seen as someone who could potentially be hireable in a transition type position to a new industry. And the way you're able to be seen as capable of making that transition is because you did all the work. Amen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's this kind of yin and yang that go along with that. But I mean, I, I think yours is one of the best examples that I've seen for someone who, whether it was because you, you, you know, where you are in your age and how the social media platforms were evolving as you were coming into your own, you know, digital brand building for people your age is a little bit more second nature than maybe someone my age. But to me, what's important is to highlight the fact that like, I'm not going to say that's why you got that job, but I also will say to everyone, did you hear Michael say he's not applied for a job in a really, really, really long time. It opened the door. It 100% opened opened the door. I mean, then I had to walk through it. I had to prepare for the interview and I had to own it. But honestly, I wouldn't have been at the Royal Park without my LinkedIn. I wouldn't have been here without my LinkedIn. Uh, And I wouldn't have been in my previous job at when I ran the sales for uh, Fogo de Chon in Troy and Jacksonville. I wouldn't have, that that door wouldn't have opened either. So it's, yeah, it was about six, seven years ago when I I was unhappy in my current role. And I said, I got to make a move. And that's when I said, it's time for me to own my LinkedIn and get really good at it. And then I sort of built this plan where I'm going to pattern myself as the the expert of my industry. Um, and then I'm going to put out good content. I'm not just going to sell at you all the time. I'm going to put out, I'm going to be authentic. And you'll see that in my LinkedIn strategy. If you actually follow me, you'll see like, I give you what I want you to see about me. I want you to one, know I'm, I'm good at what I do. I know my stuff. I'm a family man. So I put a little, sprinkling a little bit of my, uh, my family here and there. Not enough, not a ton because I don't want to, one, my family's close to my heart, so I, I, I want to keep them protected inside my sort of my my heart here. But um, and then I just want I want people to just to sort of feel that authenticity for me. And that's like you, when you see my post, you see a lot of movie references, you see a lot of cheesy memes and funny stuff like that. I'm a I'm a goofball, like that's who I am. I'm a class clown, but also when it when the going gets tough, I get going as well. So um, that's what I want 
So that's, that's why for me, that's what I like to put out there is, is my, my personal brand. Not many people I know have their hockey skates and stick with them in their LinkedIn profile photo. So that in and of itself was a uh, somewhat of a lesson for a lot of other LinkedIn people to take advantage of the real estate that's on your profile to help tell the story behind your personal brand. Masterstroke, I immediately reached out to you and was like, aha, very smart. So I totally get it. All right. So when this episode releases, we will be most of the way through the first month of the year. Some people are already going to be panicking that they're behind their sales plan because January didn't go great for them. And people will be looking for like, okay, like I need, I need a quick fix. I need something here to help me get myself back on track. And you posted an article that you found on Forbes recently that talks about some digital marketing strategies for 2022. And instead of spending another 25 minutes dissecting all of the ones there, you, you broke it down to three, but of the three, the one that really, really spoke to me that I really, I want to highlight with you is this idea about data collection and why it's so vitally important for businesses of all sizes at this stage of the game. Many people are so focused on making sure they at least get a post out. And I don't know about you, but the algorithms work against many of us in business when it comes to just making posts. Like what is that going to do for us? So talk about why you think data is playing a bigger role coming into 2022 and what that might mean for guys and girls like me who own our own businesses. I mean, so, so data, I mean, it's vital because the world, the landscape's changing. You'll see when like Facebook's called the Congress and um, all these different companies are having to sort of answer for how they're getting this data. So that beautiful sea of data, unfortunately one day is going to go away or it's going to be harder to get. So the, the whole concept of, of the war on data is really, it's capturing that first party data. Um, and what do I mean by first party data? That's, that's the data that you have in house. That's like your email list, your customer databases. That's why it's so important to have contact forms on your website. If people follow you on social media, you want to gather up all that first party data because that is your nest egg. I always use this example. I go to Nike.com. I see these fantastic pair of new Jordans. And then, uh, I go on my Facebook two minutes later, and that data is just following me everywhere I go. I'll see Jordan shoes on the free press. I'll see Jordan shoes on Facebook. I'll, I'll get emails. My Alexa will sometimes say, Michael, are you still looking at those delightful Jordan shoes? She doesn't say delightful, but she should. She should. But um, so just like that, some of that data might not be as accessible. And with like cookies and everything like that, there's, there's a lot more regulations coming. So it's so important to own your data and actually use the data. My recommendation is like, a lot of people think that email marketing is, is dead or dying. I think that's so vital because you can use, I mean, you can make personalized content. I mean, you can you have that automated content. Um, there's so much that you can do with that data. And if you're not using it, you're doing a disservice to your company. These people already like you. They might even love you. They've at least looked at you and they want, they want something, they're curious. I just got to get them to bite the apple. So email marketing is one of those axioms that I think has been around for so long and mostly been derided in the marketplace to we as the recipients of email marketing are often pissed off by the way it gets done. 
Yeah. Yep. So we all inherently have this bias built up about email marketing. And yet on the other side of the fence, consistently and repeatedly, digital marketers will say to you time and time and time again, that your email marketing strategy is a vital part mm-hmm. of what it is that you need to accomplish. Where's the gap? Why, what, what is the problem? Where, what kind of bridge do we need to be building, Mike, that would solve this negative bias and get us all back feeling good about email marketing again? Honestly, I think it's, I think it's the, the person sending the email marketing is so reckless with it sometimes. Yep. They're just sending it spam, 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 spam. So let me just throw, let me just throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. I, I think the way to sort of get over the bias is if the companies that do it correctly, um, you have different sort of platforms um, in the world, like on Salesforce and different things like that, where you can see where your buyers or where the buyers at in the cycle, sort of personalize it to, to that buyer. I think it works a lot better if it's used a little more tastefully, a little more personalized. Um, I know it's, it's far more effective. I mean, certain things like I have, like, like bad brads, these guys email, email me every week and I, I like it because I love bad brads. I think they got a fantastic brisket tacos recommended by Michael Crank. <laughs> I know, and I know foods and I know food, but anyways, like, like bad brads, for example, they email me like once a week. It's not five times a week, but, uh, and I like when I get their coupons, I can, I can easily hit unsubscribe, but I mean, they, they know I like, they, they know I come in there often. They hit me with these coupons. And that one's great. Um, so there's there's certain there's certain brands that do a better do a better job um, like the like the remarkable for example this is this notebook that I want so bad and this was another one that follows me around because I clicked I clicked to find out more information because I do want more information and um, and I'm gonna buy it I just for me I don't want to spend no five hundred twenty dollars right now I'm like can I just use the legal pad for a couple more weeks <laughs> but but they do it tastefully. One, they send me an email here and there, maybe once once a week, and then they, they they follow me around on Facebook. When you see my Facebook, you see the remarkable. So I think if you do it right, you do it personalized, and you actually put some thought and some effort into it, it is extremely functional and useful. Yeah. But just, I mean, just think through it. Um, one thing I used to have a ton of success with, this is part of my, my personal branding, is I used to have my own personal newsletter that I sent out once a month, I would have like a 60% open rate and people would, they would, they loved my, my email. One that was personalized. I, everyone felt like I was talking to them individually, even though I would have a list of thousand people. I put it on MailChimp and I sent it out. They felt I was being authentic. I was being real. I wasn't talking in this like industry lingo. And, and I just put a little bit about a little bit of everything. I sprinkle in what the company's doing. I put a little bit of soft sells. I put a little bit about my family. What are my challenges? Where what are my wins? And it's just, and it would have a massive opening rate. I've actually had the chance to do um, some lunch and learns where I've taught them just based because one of the people that loved my newsletter, they wanted me to come teach how I did it. But honestly, it's just, it's just being thoughtful with what you do. And I think a lot of the business owners that would be watching, I mean, they are thoughtful in what they do and they put that same thought, that same energy into their email marketing or their, their branding online. You're going to, have massive success. I guarantee you, when you put yourself out there, you, you will see great results. And if you can't sub segment your email distribution list to make it be more personal, scrub your list down Amen. until you get to a place where the number of people on that list, you could actually write them 
a direct email if you were forced to do so. And if you do nothing more than just narrow it down to the people you could do that with, I promise you your results are going to improve. Preach, preach. <laughs> All right. The last piece of this is, though, we both of us are both very much in the camp of video, 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 video. Why is it important? And can you marry these two things together? Can you marry video into your email marketing? And then where do you think it's best employed in the rest of the digital marketing strategy? Right, I'll give you two strategies on video. On LinkedIn, one, for doing personal branding, video is vital. One, it gives you a look inside the, the soul of a man or a woman. Um, you sort of get to know the person. And my strategy, what I always recommend on video and LinkedIn, don't try to be perfectly polished. Be you. Be relatable. Like if you screw up a word, like I'm sure there's some mistakes I've made in our chat today. That's all good because we all make mistakes and you're relatable. Right. Um, as far as digital marketing, I mean, there's so many opportunities now. I mean, but if you're going to put video on your digital marketing, it's got it like your corporate page. You want that to be polished. You want that to be professional. You want that to be nice. Or you can put it on your Facebook page. You can put it on your LinkedIn. You can put it on, you can have your own YouTube page. There's so many different opportunities to use video to show off your different products, to show off what you're doing. Um, there's, it's, it's vital. I mean, that's what people don't want to read. 500 pages of word. I'd rather click a button. I got my AirPods in and just watch a 10 second video. Um, so depending on what you're trying to promote, the, the length of the video, and there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but you need to use video. It's, it's the, it's the wave of the future. It's where we're at. You have all these streaming services now, like the Hulu TVs of the world where you can put more stuff out and more active ads. And um, so I think it's, I think it's absolutely vital but the two strategies between the personal brand and the professional brand completely different strategies if you ask me uh, i actually in my book i wrote about this thing called the trust continuum and the journey from no to like to trust to me a lot of people think it's a straight line when in reality it's a pyramid and what i'm trying to preach to my consulting customers is when you are encountering someone regardless of whether it's the first time you've met them or the hundredth the first responsibility you have to yourself and to that person is where are we on this trust continuum? If there's like for, for all of you listening, come in, if it's 2022 and you're having that panic moment, like we're talking about right now, just go around and start capturing stuff about what's going on in your life. Even if you don't want to be the one being recorded, just record stuff <laughs> and have an opinion about what it is that you want to tell people, but have there be a reason for why you're trying to do that and know that that's the opportunity for you to build that relationship that's been missing in the trust continuum. I could go on and on and on. Yeah, this yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. I, mean, I, have a, I have a whole LinkedIn sales strategy that I, that I, when I was predominantly sales that I like my sales Bible that I used to use on LinkedIn, that I sort of created, but again, it never, ever, ever, ever pitch on the first after they connect if you're out there watching don't do it don't do it please we're coming for you when you do i literally will send emails back to people and say give me your boss's name because i want to know did that person teach you that this was the right thing to do or did you just come up with this on your own because if your boss taught you this then i want to have a word with that person because this is ridiculous you know, I want to be loved. I want to be pampered a little bit. Tell me I look beautiful, you know, just come on, you know, do something. Give, give me an idea of why you think this connection makes sense for both of us. And I will be willing to listen. Right. Yeah, and you yeah. don't even have to like, just don't pitch. And sometimes that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. 
yeah, quick thing about my strategy, I connect, I post, I post good content that hopefully they see me like, man, that guy is pretty stinking funny. He's sort of cool. And, and geez, he knows, he knows his stuff. There you go. And then, and then usually after like, let's say four to six weeks, depending on how desperate I was in sales, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll come with a creative message and then I'll hopefully lead into something else. Michael Crank and Roger Burnett have share a strand of common DNA and it's, the fact that bringing your heart to your job in a way to make what you do be a part of something bigger than yourself is something that you and I both identify with. Mm. Exactly. You're significantly younger than me. So I want to understand, understand from your perspective, I know why it's important to me. How did that happen for you and why is it important to you when it comes to standing out from the competition from a purpose-led strategy. Yeah, I mean, so if you know Davin Salvano, if you want to learn about purpose, that's the guy to talk to. But um, but I'm a millennial, so I fall in that category, however you look at us, whether we're good, bad, lazy, we love beanbag chairs in our office, whatever you think about us, we work for purpose. And um, and I think it's imperative for me to, to have a purpose behind what I'm doing, to do something that's Honestly, it's going to change the world. And you don't change the world by changing this whole massive vision. To me, changing the world could just be someone falls out of the chair, you don't laugh at him, and you pick him up. Or it could be volunteering for a charity organization. So um, in my career, I've always made it a point to work with places that are doing good within the community, um, providing a vision for what where they can see me and where they can see the company. Um, so, so one thing I've always preached to my fellow millennials is, to, to change the world, you don't have to give all your money because right now we might not be in that financial place we want to be. But do we have time? Do we have resources? What can we do to, to change the world? For me, when I first started out, when I was, uh, I joined Kiwanis. I was, and then I was, I just finished up being the president last year. I don't have a ton of money like some of the members who can give you $10,000 a year, but I had time. I could volunteer at the soup kitchen. I could fill backpacks for kids at the elementary school. I could build food pantries. And that's sort of, and then as I've get, gotten older, I've been able to give a little more, a little more money, a little less time. But you have a gift. We all have a gift. So if you're watching, you have a gift. So what can you do to use your gift to fulfill your purpose and help other people reach their purpose? And that's sort of where I'm at. Um, uh, I want to use my gifts to help fulfill the greater purpose of myself and help other people reach their purpose. And with the company I'm at right now. Um, they're all about that purpose. They're all about that culture. And that's um, what fills my cup in every place I go to work and where I will work. If I don't feel that purpose where I'm going to be able to give back to the betterment of society and people and pour into others, you probably won't find Michael Crank or many millennials joining that team. We need that. Everything else being equal or everything else being within an order of measure. Same. This could be the final arbiter of what, what decision gets made. And I'm not saying in every instance that those of us who have that last little checkbox are going to win every time. But there's more and more instances where that's the box. And ultimately, when everything else was weighed out, it was like, well, this is what made us want to make this choice yeah. as opposed to that choice. And in those instances when you're competing 
you, I, anybody else in the world, the kick in the stomach is when you lose because there's something you don't have that somebody else does. And when it happens, it has a way of crystallizing it for you in a way that will be different than somebody just telling you, oh, this is what you need to do. It's when you start losing. So people who are doing that against you, that is disrupting your business. And what, we're, what I'm saying is never before more has disruption been possible because of what's going on in the economy. So many things are changing that many potential clients in your category might be evaluating vendors for the first time in however long. Mm-hmm. And if suddenly purpose has become one of the criterion that they're using to make a decision and you've got nothing, you can go in and maybe make a solid case for yourself. But when they start investigating you, you're done because there's nothing there to back up what you're saying. So if you're a Pollyanna just trying to jump on the bandwagon today, good luck. But if you've got something about your business that really does warrant it being told, get to getting right now because it's so vitally important. Don't you think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Look, it's, it's not what you say, it's what you do out there. And um, nothing better than seeing a company that actually, they have these big, beautiful models, these big, beautiful missions, but they actually practice them and preach them every day. And that's, that's where the real power is at. So we just produced our first ever uh, impact report. We released it yesterday. Oh, nice. And what we wanted to do was communicate to the world what we'd done for whom we'd done it and measure the amount we had done it. (laughs) And it was eye opening for us to put all of that down on paper because it's part of our mission. So we just do it, but we also realize how vitally important it is both for people who are interested in knowing that about us, but more importantly for businesses to be inspired by our little $400,000 company was able to have this massive community impact because of our dedication to that's what we want to be, right? And by being willing to put it out there in an inspectable kind of way, we're really planting our flag to say, like, this is who we are. And by being willing to promote that message in the marketplace, what we're hoping is that the Michael Cranks of the world will see us and go, oh, well, gosh, I, I, can, I see you. I can. I see you, buddy. Right. So, <laughs> so that's the best about it. All right. So, so concludes. Thank you so much. So concludes the audio portion. All right. You heard what I said. That concludes the audio portion of this. There's bonus content these days in the video version, which releases on the opposite Wednesday of every episode. So, if you're interested and hearing more about Michael Crank's story and some of the additional topics that we cover in the bonus content, please go to the Social Good Promotions LinkedIn page and follow us so that you can get notifications when those video-based episodes are released. They are really a lot of fun. They're growing in popularity. There's a segment in there where I allow the guest to ask me a question. And over the course of the last few episodes, those questions that they've asked me have been really eye-opening 
and the responses that I've given have gotten quite a response from a number of people who have taken the time to actually watch the video portion of what goes down. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael. You know, there's a lot about listening to millennials and what makes them tick and what uh, they consider when they're approaching their work on a day in and day out basis that I think all of us would be wise to continue to uh, pay attention to as time rolls on on our lives here. So if there's anyone else that you think would benefit from hearing that, please share it around with them. And as we continue to grow our subscriber base, we're able to continue to find new guests just like Michael who can provide valuable insights to you. Until next time, this is Roger signing off.